Is it dairy? Is it Londonderry? We're going to talk about that and so much more in today's podcast. Will your vacation take you through the north of Ireland? My Ulster Overview itinerary takes you through the highlights of Ulster, including the Giants Causeway, Belfast, and Derry, while introducing you to places along the Causeway coast that you've not heard of. This itinerary is suitable for all ages and includes three levels of lodging recommendations. View this and my other free itineraries at irelandfamilyvacations.com plan. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me again here on the Traveling in Ireland podcast. Today we are heading up to the north of Ireland and my guest is Glenn Doherty, who is the owner of Dairy Guided Tours. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. No problem, Jody. thank you. So we're, we're just going to kind of jump right into dairy because it's yep. a little difficult <laughs> to not bring politics into a discussion about dairy because even the name of the city can be kind of contentious depending on who you're talking to. So, you know, let's start there. Is it dairy? Is it London dairy? Why does it have two names? <laughs> it has three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the, the, third? The, the original name, the original Irish name, the, the proper term is, is Dura, which is D-O-I-R-E which translates to the Oak Grove. Um, that was anglicized to obviously then to, to Derry. Um, anywhere in Ireland, the name you come across has been anglicized at some stage, you know, and that's, that text Derry as well. Um, so that's where that Derry term comes from, the original. But the, the other one there is London Derry. Now that was changed in, in 1613. Um, it was changed by James I. Now, he, he got a, a group known as the London Guilds to finance, amongst other things, finance the building of the city walls. Um, I always say when, when the monarch then asked you a question, you haven't got the option of a no. So it, it's, a, it's a pleasant demand. <laughs> and he got a group known as the London Guilds then to finance the building of the city walls. What they put on then was, was about 11 and a half thousand pounds. Not sure what that translates into dollars, but that it was eleven and a half thousand pounds. That's going to be a lot of money today. And that was back in sixteen thirteen. So because they were sort of forced to, to put it on, James the first recognised that, and he put London on the on the front of Derry, um, which in most parts of of the north have used London Derry. Generally, means you come from a Unionist or Protestant background, um, and obviously, if you use Derry, then the you'd be more than likely come from a nationalist or Catholic background. But generally in Derry, the vast majority of, of people refer to it as, as Derry. So a lot of people take great offence outside of Derry, not necessarily uh, in. Um, but you, you do get all the names there. You, it just depends how people were brought up, what they were brought up with. Mm -hmm. And you just sort of accept it. You know, you don't. Well, I don't argue <laughs> because that's what people are brought up with. And that's the name that, that people use, you know. But I'd say the first preference for most dairy people is is dairy. Excellent. Very good to know. So you did bring up the city walls and Derry is one of the only cities in Ireland to actually retain 
it's complete city walls. I can only think of one other uh, village down toward the south of Ireland that has um, a very complete uh, border wall. So that wall was put there for a purpose and it has a really great history. Can you share just a little bit about that without giving away your entire tour, which I know is fabulous? <laughs> that, that, that's the difficult part. Um, well, as I said, they, they date back to 1613 um, originally. Uh, they were built there for a purpose. Um, the, the period that became known as, as the Plantation of Ulster. Um, I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but it, it, it's a recolonization of the, the province of Ulster, a colonization of the province of Ulster, is essentially what, what they were built for. Um, the, the plantation, slightly different American term, um, but it's a repopulation. Um, essentially, the province of Ulster, all nine counties of it, was the last part of Ireland to come under English rule, as it would have been then. Um, and once they get on here in the early 1600s, they, they cleared the lands of Native Irish and replanted. That's where that term comes from, or repopulated the area with, with English and Scottish Protestants. Quite a lot of Americans are of uh, Scots-Irish heritage. And this is a sort of era that, that they're coming in, the Scots-Irish sort of come into being. And the walls were designed in as being the main defensive structure for, for the plantation itself, you know. So... All the wee towns and villages outside of the walls would have been on their own unless there was a rebellion or, or until there was a rebellion. And then the, the English and the Scots were allowed inside all the villages. So they, they sort of took protection from the Native Irish rebellions, you know. And that's sort of keeping the detail out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those walls, you know, when you think of a wall, you, you don't necessarily think of what you experience there in Derry, because you could literally drive cars around these walls. They are massive. They, they, they are. I think it's, is it 30 meters across? It's something the, like that. The I, I just... part, and around that, I wouldn't quote me on that, but it's in around there anyway. I, I'm nearly sure there was sort of vintage cars on there at one stage as a sort of vintage car show, because there is a section there at, at Bishop Street, where you can actually come off and drive on, you're you're not generally supposed to to, to do that, you know. But I think they had a, like a vintage car show where the cars were sort of placed along a certain section. They they do have um, a motorcycle club. They raise funds every year. They have a like a, like a tea party. Uh, <laughs> that's how they describe it, you know. But they 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 would go around the city walls on on bike motorbikes, and it, it's a yearly event that that raises money for um, certain causes um, and the likes as well, you know. So they are huge. I mean, quite a lot of people see the wall when you're trying to describe the people. This walled city tour will take you on the city walls. You're not doing a balancing act. You know? <laughs> it's not a trapeze. They are quite wide uh, in, in most of the parts. It's only a few feet in, in some of the, the sections, but as you probably as you well know, you've, you've been there yourself. Um, it's quite safe. I had a, I had a family there last year, and it was about Wednesday, and they emailed me to say that they were thinking about not coming in case they get blew off the wall. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so you can see where imagine people's imaginations that you're on this wall and you're sort of balancing yourself as you as you walk around. But I've never lost anybody. I'll, I'll put it that way, you know? <laughs> Not that I'm the wall, anyway, you know. <laughs> um, 
and they are they're just, and they're beautiful to see they're beautiful to experience and to to have that that um just that experience of walking around a city it's almost like you're walking around atop a city it's really terrific oh, above um, the city that, that's the way it feels you know now another thing that dairy is really well known for are its murals and those are located yeah. For the most part in an area called the bog side is that correct yeah that's right uh, can you tell us a little bit about why i mean why are there murals there what um what brought this on and and kind of what will people uh see when they are in that area of the bog side well, well the the murals as in sort of well-designed paintings sort of come in the late 70s got into the 1980s that that's when they really start they would have been fairly fluid so they would have been there for maybe a month or two then depending on the, the political landscape would have would have changed again to to, to something else um, and it was and is a, a form of, of protest when people hadn't got a voice especially the sort of catholic nationalist community then this was the only way of, of maybe getting their, their their message or point um across the the ones that you see today are they were painted from 94 1994 right up through to sort of mid uh, 2000s uh, but these ones were actually designed to be near near enough static you know sort of stay and they were designed to actually explain the modern history of of, of dairy essentially moving or going between the the civil rights period of the mid 1960s right up to the Good Friday Agreement or the peace process, and also take everything else in, in between. Um, the, the murals are used are used actual photographs. So with these will make them. If you've been to Belfast, you see that I mean they're, they're fantastic murals up there on on both sides. Um, but these murals are slightly different because it's it's not the the artist's impression. So it's not the artist's mind as such. Uh, and the murals are taken from actual photographs that were taken during the, or, or in the events that they're, they're trying to cover. So that's what makes these, the, the dairy murals quite a lot more significant. And it gets its point across better, put it that way, because it, it's not the, the artist's imagination. It's actually photographs that people recognize. Um, so it, it sort of takes the argument out of, of what happened, if you, if you, if you know that type of way. Uh, somebody didn't think the image up and put it on. There you are. There's the photograph. That's what happened. Or there's the four photographs, because the, the the so they cover that period, sort of taking in civil rights, um, security force murders during a conflict, the Battle of the Bogside, Bloody Sunday, right up through to the actual what they call the peace wall, uh, or the peace mural, which is sort of multicolored wall with a sort of dove and, and everything in the center so it takes you right from the 1960s it takes in the the american connections to certain murals like well i don't call it a mural free dairy corner free dairy wall but that has got i don't know if i explained this to you when i was talking the last time it has an american angle it has an american beginnings um so when a lot of people were looking at the civil rights movement, they were looking obviously at the African American civil rights movement and taking a lot of sort of ideas and ideals from there. So we were actually taking some slogans as well, um, making them more Irish. Obviously, there are different parts in, in, in the United States. So there is, even with, with Free Dairy Corner, there is an American angle 
honoured, you know. I don't like going on day too much. Um, no. Detail of it, you know. But that's what they sort of explain. They take you right up through the history, the modern history, is where the walls would deal with quite a lot of the older history. It does take you up to the 20th century. But in, in detail, then, that's where the sort of murals take on. And it, it goes from the 60s to the 2000s, you know. And, and it's really an incredible experience to walk through that area and especially to do so with a guide as knowledgeable as you are. Because I know, Glenn, that, that you have an incredible background. Um, you've studied history and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about why you put these tours together and a few of the tours that you offer? Because I know from experience that they are really really great and we did them when our children were younger and you know they really enjoyed the walls they they liked the pictures on the buildings but they didn't you know they didn't really absorb a lot of of mm. um what was going on beyond that but your your tours are really great um whether it's mm -hmm. all adults or or if you have a family along so can you talk a little bit about your tours that you offer uh, can I, I I did study Irish history and politics uh, at the University of Ulster, what they call McGee here, which which is in 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 Derry. Um, I was made redundant at the age of thirty eight, and doing shift work, and that was sort of I was getting too old for it, put it that way, uh, or I thought I was getting too old for it. Uh, so I decided with all the nagging between my mother and my mother in law that you should go back and get an education, you know. So I, I left school when I was 15 um, with, with nothing whatsoever, you know, apart from the doors that I took off the school when I ran out, you know. Um, but I went back and studied Irish history and, and politics at the age of 39. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mostly enjoyed every minute of it, um, apart from the examination process at the end, you know, um, because I'd never sat an exam before. Um, and this was the big one that I had to sort of, so I hadn't got the experience of, being an 18 year old, as they would do it here in, in Ireland, you would sit your exams, the main ones when you're 18. I was I was long gone out of school at that stage. So this is my first sort of experience of, of certain really meaningful examinations, you know. Um, but I enjoyed the, the whole process. The idea of me going back to school, the idea was to, to become a teacher, actually. Um, and then hopefully teach teach history or, or and or politics. But at that stage, they, there wasn't enough retiring and there, there was a backlog of, of 21 year old teachers trying to get in. I wasn't a 21, 21 year old teacher. <laughs> I was possibly a 42 year old, I think. Uh, so time was against me in that, in that degree. So I actually met a guy who, who was teaching, Michael Cooper, he was teaching a, a guide, or sorry, a teaching a, a guiding course. I literally bumped on them in, in the street on the bog side and he invited me along to take the course. Um, as well so that's how he actually became he became a guide and then Michael actually landed me when my very first tour was it was a tour of the city walls so I, I had actually studied um, I studied it all but I had more detail when I was doing the course it was more modern history that I was that was covering just sort of that, for that course and then my first of course my first uh guided tour was was the walls um and michael actually told me oh you white lie he said there's only four or five um there was actually about 30 that, that were there he, he done it on purpose you know he was expecting only four and then 30 showed up for for the actual um so it was totally unpracticed i hadn't got any sort of apart from my, my actual degree 
Um, and I had loads of ammunition going around. I had quite a lot left over that I didn't actually use, so it actually went okay. So I decided then to put a sort of a walk. I know we can walk sort of both ways around the city walls, but I've just sort of done it on my own and walked around and, and seeing what you're looking at and then putting the history of the buildings and the certain areas and overlooking the bog side. So I actually put that wall city tour. It's probably similar to some, but I put it to, to my own and brought sort of a bit of my own story and a bit of the history that you don't really hear sometimes, you know. Um, and then the Bloody Sunday in the Bogside Murals one. Um, I Some of the guys just sort of randomly go around or maybe start at the end and work their way through to the to the beginning. Um, where I start at, at Freedory Corner and the murals basically go in chronological order. So I went around and try to get wee bits and pieces, just wee bits that were different um, that you, you generally hear all the time, like Freedory Corner, where, where the slogan came from and how it was a sort of adapted to the Irish civil rights movement. So just to get wee different bits and pieces um, about it. So I just put that tour together to myself. And then, of course, when it comes to Bloody Sunday, that's when I have that unfortunate connection of, of having it. Uh, my father, who was who was one of the people murdered um, on the day, he was actually the 12th out of out of 13. So unfortunately, I have that inside knowledge, which, which I'm, I say unfortunate, but I'm happy enough to share um, with people because, as you well know, my tours are pretty... Um, most of them are, are small, uh, which, which I do prefer. I do have one on Sunday, which is 30, 16 year olds. So <laughs> I'm a 35, 16 year olds. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's a different, it's a different type of tour when you do like I had school children. So here, primary six, primary seven would be 10 and 11 year olds. And mm -hmm. um, because Bloody Sunday's 50th anniversary was, was coming up a few weeks, a couple of weeks back, that's essentially what they were looking at, the civil rights. And it was, I'm going to say it was a nightmare, but I don't mean a nightmare in a bad way, because you have to, because if I'm talking to you on an on a adult level, then you expect that you're going to understand the terms that I'm using. Children, you have to take it right back and strip it right back. The, the, the very sort of bones of what, what was going on. And then the, the, the questions that they fire at you are, um, I have to say, incredible. <laughs> and it really keeps you on your toes, really out of the blue questions. And then some way I'd done that for about three weeks ago, four weeks ago maybe, um, one of them actually told me that they were related to one of the people murdering Bloody Sunday. Um, and actually two of them told me, two different people. Um, so they, when, when children are there, I find that they do listen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't realise because they're kicking stones over here or they're pulling each other's hair or they're doing something that, that children usually do. But quite a lot of the time when you hear feedback from the schools, especially if they're travelling, say, from Kildare or whatever, teenagers, the, the teachers can hear what they're talking about and they can hear the discussions. So quite a lot of them don't seem to listen or sort of go, just sort of give you a blank stare as teenagers are, are, are really good at, you know. Um, but quite often they say it's, it's amazing the conversations that they're having, even without the teachers, they're sitting at the back. The children are on their own and they're actually just, they're, they're discussing um, what they've heard and, and what they've seen because 
the the school book, as, as we all know, school books are fairly dry. Um, doesn't matter what the subject is, you're 15, it's a piece of paper that you have to read, right? Um, doesn't matter what the subject is. Once they come into the dairy and under the bog side, quite a lot of them start on the walls, get a wee brief history of the background, and then the modern stuff. Um, and that's where the teachers get a massive benefit from um, because they're out of the book and they're in the history. They're literally in the history. You're standing on the streets where, where history took place. And it's where, and when you say history, there's people passing you and they were involved in the Battle of the Bogside. When you're doing a tour, you can see people coming towards you and you're going, this guy or this girl was involved in the, the Battle of the Bogside or they there, there on Bloody Sunday. So it's it's history, but it's it's not history to, 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 to dairy people, you know? Right, right. And I think that that's one of the things I think that made your tours stick with us so much is the fact that you're not just guiding a tour that that a you're passionate about it and b it i mean this is where you live this is where you grew up this is where your yeah. history is and your history and dairy's history are are one really and it just it brings just such a personal experience to the tours that i think just really makes them stand out no, but uh, I've never scripted a tour. I've never sat down and had this script and this is what I've... So, as, as you well know, what, what I think when I met you before, one of the first things I tell you, if you have any questions as, as we go around here, it's your tour, it's not mine. <laughs> and that's what I do say to people, it's your tour, you tell me what you want to hear. And um, if I'm not telling you what you want to hear, then ask the question, because obviously you can't cover every bit of history or every bit of Irish or dairy history. And that's why I do and emphasize as we go around, even sometimes with my accent. I always say to people, if you don't understand what I'm saying, please stop me and tell me. Because <laughs> you probably will know this is my slow version that we're speaking with. Uh, and you've been to Ireland a few times, you know. Um, but that, that's a, one of the first things I do say to them when, when I do get them on the tour. There is a, a certain amount of, I hate to say the word script. I've never had a script. I've never done one up. Um, but there is obviously a certain amount of things you're going to hear and you're going to see that's going to be fairly similar. But that's what I always say then, because people come from all parts of the world. Um, I had a guy here from California and he was able to tell me a story connected with the civil rights movement here, the connected with the civil rights movement in, in, in the United States. And, and, and that's me learning as well. So that's me getting a slightly free education when you're talking to um, people. So I always and always encourage and, and I keep saying I'll go around, if you've any questions, I'm not a dictator. You see, that's um, I'm used to be dictated to. I've been married 27 years, so I'm, I'm used to being dictated to, you know, um, and being asked certain questions. So that's what a thing they always put through there that is. Um, I'm not on a script. I'm quite happy to drift away in any certain direction, just depending on, on where people's questions sort of take you to, you know, and hopefully answer the questions properly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people learn more about Dairy Guided Tours? How can they book them? And are there any certain social media accounts that uh, they can get a little inspiration from? That you have. Um, I, I'm on them all, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Um, it's basically derogated tours or tours, depending. I think Twitter's tour, singular. Um, or you can go to the website, which is www.derogatedtours.com. Um, again, emails, 
I'm quite happy to explain the tours, the different ones that I, I sort of do, you know, and I go into a, bit, a wee bit of detail and then I ask people what they're coming for, what, what the reason they're, they're coming for. And I think, was it yourself done a story um, a few years ago? It was about this, this girl is coming from Texas, I believe, or if, yeah. is it on her relatives or both of her two of her ancestors two brothers were involved in the in the siege of Derry. um was it houston i think it was uh, it, i know it's on the site somewhere and i'll be sure to they, link they, that they, their, their second name was houston which is scottish or scots presbyterian so they essentially done a full circle uh but they had told me before they, they had come the reasons why they were coming back uh obviously houston scots scots irish heritage um but they told me a few things about the, the relatives and i was able to sort of take them to places where their two ancestors had stood oh. or in that sort of general area because i knew two battles they were involved in during the siege which were just outside the city walls and there's a prominent marker there and uh, so i knew essentially where they would have been at that time in the in 1689 <laughs> and that, you know, that just makes things even more i mean talk about taking taking something and making it personal i i just i love that that's i i can't do it with everybody unfortunately because as you well know irish records are not um not great past the 1860s or something like that or the 1900s uh so irish records are not brilliant they're they're, they're awful not not because of of or bad record keepers um but they were actually destroyed um in 1921 1920 21 um either by the, by the english or by the irish one of the two there's two stories you know uh but all the records were essentially destroyed uh pre sort of 1900 so anything back that way and the irish only really kept one set of records and they were sent to the central records office as where you if you've presbyterian churches they have two sets one kept at the church and one kept at the records office. So when ours were destroyed, that was that was it. Uh, so it's always nice to get a wee sort of idea uh, of why people are coming and what their connections are. So you can get that sort of personal. You can't always do it, unfortunately, but sometimes you get really good gems of, of knowledge, you know. And and even if people know that they're coming to Derry and they there are things that they really want to learn about, even letting you know that will help you to create a tour that's going to interest them and yeah. and fit their goals. Absolutely. Uh, the, the more knowledge and the more, as I say, I can't do it all the time, uh, unfortunately, because of, of the records. I had a guy there two weeks ago. He, he's a Doherty or a Doherty as well from Canada. And he gave me this sort of list and there, there's nothing. There's nothing because, as you well know, the O'Doherty clan come from this area. So every third person you meet is going to be uh, a Doherty of some description, you know. Um, so unfortunately, I can't always do it, but I do try um, and find out if I can. If I can't, I just let them know. But if I can, I let them know, but I don't give them too much detail of what you find out until they actually sort of get right. here, you know. Excellent. So if people are planning to come to Derry, they're booking in a tour with you, um, there's so much else to do in and around Derry. And uh, can you give like three, just three tips for things people maybe shouldn't miss while they're in the area? 
You'll need a car to reach some of these recommended destinations, so I'm excited to partner with IrishCarRentals.com to provide an unbeatable quote on your car rental in Ireland. Be sure to use code IFV for Ireland Family Vacations in the promotions box to save an extra 10%. Now, here come those recommended destinations. Um, I can give four. The first one is is be prepared. <laughs> uh, as you well know, Irish Irish weather is unpredictable. I, I'm sitting here and it's blowing a gale outside, but the sun's shining and every ten minutes goes really black uh, and rains for ten minutes and then it's bright blue skies again. You know, um, one of the things that, that quite a lot of people um, don't go to see. Uh, and they really should, um, is the famine village in, in, in the Isle of Doe in, in Ashone. That's and amazing. I, I you because quite a lot of, of, of Irish Americans get their roots from the 1845, the 1853 uh, Great Hunger. Um, and it gives you a good insight, uh, an insight into the circumstances of, of people leaving Ireland, um, how they loved, sometimes how they died. Um, unfortunately, uh, but the, the it, it's guided the whole way through, and the guy gives you a huge description of what life was like um, before, during, and, and after the what they call now the Great Hunger. Um, so that's the Isle of Doe Famine Village. It, it's fantastic, I have to say. Um, one of the tips I always give, and you, I think you, you got on to me the last time. Um, there's two in a shown. shown is I can see it from my back window. The Anishon Hills. Um, you well know that the scenery up there. I, I can't pick one place for for Anishon. Uh, I can't pick one place at all because it's you drive a complete circuit. You will take on the Isle of Doe Famine Village as you drive around it as well, which is a plus. Uh, but the scenery for for scenic wise, the the Anishon. It's the Anishon One Hundred. It's it's the biggest peninsula in in Ireland. Um, and Anishon, it's the island of Owen. Uh, that's where that's where it comes from. Um, the third part, and, and I gave this the last time because I, I holiday, I mean, I have in a show on my doorstep, but I will drive for an hour in the opposite direction uh, to go to West Donegal. Um, West Donegal for everything from Irish traditional music to the best Guinness in Donegal, um, which I've sampled once or twice, you know. Um, but even the Gale Talk areas, the Irish speaking areas, they're, they're all in West Donegal. One of the big, I think you've been here before, is the Sleeve League. Mm -hmm. Sleeve leave clips. Quite a lot of people when they come to Ireland, obviously you have the circuit and you do all the Kerry, Cork and, and um, Cliffs of Moher. The, the, the Sleeve League is, is three times higher than the Cliffs of Moher. Um, they do know you have a car park, by the way, up there, which, which yep. we hadn't got. Um, that's what we refer to I as I still recommend walking from the lower car park to the top if you can. Um, it's, it's a hike. It's a hike. It but... is a hike. Gosh, it's so worth it. it, it it's worth doing. Um, some people go up there in coaches. Uh, I've never done it, thankfully. Um, but it is it is worth going to see. We were there, again, just over two years ago. So we had a holiday in, in what they call Guidoir. So it's actually a, what they call a Gwailtok, which is an Irish-speaking area. My children are fluent in Irish, so they can get us there and back and order all stuff as well. You know, But obviously, people speak English, and they're quite happy to do that. But if you have any Irish at all, uh, they, they do appreciate a few words or a couple of fuckles, as they would say as well. Um, 
But West Donegal, which takes in sort of Guidor, the Highlands all around there, it's just fantastic scenery. In the summer, you, you well know you get the Irish traditional music. Uh, but scenery-wise, again, West Donegal. Uh, you've got the place called the um, Glenvay National Park. Glenvay National Park is absolutely stunning. Um, we have a wee caravan down there. We move well home. Um, down in, in Crawley, which is about 20 minutes from uh, Glenvay. And then you have the um, the mountain just behind it, which the name is escaping me at the moment. Schleifs uh, is an Irish, which is snowy mountain, basically. Erigal. Uh, you've got Erigal. Quite a lot of people refer to it as Mount Erigal. Um, if you say that in that area, they, they correct you. It's just Erigal. You don't put the mount on it, you know. Um, it's, it's the biggest mountain in, in Donegal. And you can walk up it. Um, as well, but just below the Erigal is the Poison Glen. So stunning there. Um, absolutely uh, stunning. I would say people people would pay thousands of pounds to fly somewhere in the world to see what you can see uh, 45 minutes from my front door. Um, and it's absolutely stunning. It's a glacial valley uh, with a big lock down at, the, uh, down at the bottom end. And then you've also got the Guinness House just across um, you can just about see it. They've cleared some of the, the trees, so that would be Arthur Guinness, the guy who made the black stuff. Um, he they have a holiday home just over there. I haven't really seen anybody there in, in a long time, um, but you can see it across the lock. You can actually drive down. There's an old church there as well, but the views from from up above are are you'll get them nowhere else in the world. They'll say you know, but that's the sort of west. It, it, it is a general spot. I'll give you that much, but it is west. Donegal is is. Is absolutely fantastic. Inishon is on the same, absolutely the same level for for wildness. Donegal is the least um, touristy of of almost all the counties in Ireland, because it, for for many years it was quite difficult to get here roadways, um, dairy included. Um, there was never really the infrastructure for, for tourism. Uh, there was everything else that you needed, uh, apart from the actual infrastructure. Um, and now you're getting more tourists. You're getting some, but it's still really wild. And that's that's what I love about, about West Donegal, you know, the wildness of it. Yes, completely. It's, it's a place where I, I often tell people when I work with them that there's an invisible line between Dublin and Galway. And yep. probably 90% of visitors go south of that. And if you go north of that, you're going to have a vacation that you never imagined. And if you get clear up into that northwestern corner, um, I I can't even think of one time that we encountered Americans up there. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I send people up there, so that's going to change. But uh, <laughs> but still, it's it's an amazing experience. And it's it's an area that it still retains that wildness. Um, Absolutely, because you know, that you wild still, Atlantic way kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you've still got the cottages, you still got the thatched cottage. Not not everywhere, but you still got them, and you've got it's fairly. Some parts are remote. Um, some parts you can't get a a mobile signal or cell signal. Some parts you can't get a television signal, uh, <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic if, if that's what you're looking for. Um, so that it's still fairly wild. Uh, there is a few Americans now. There's a few more um, these last few years pre-COVID. Um, um, now they're starting to get more back, but you're you're starting to get some. But you, it's it's it it's not touristy. It, it's still wild. It hasn't got that tourist element. There's nothing wrong with tourists, by the way. But I'm just saying it hasn't got that sort of. Some other parts of Ireland are geared toward tourism. 
Donegal is for Donegal people and tourism come as well. You know that that type of way. So you're you're sort of treated as, as one. Uh, <laughs> you're 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 treated as a local basically when you when you sort of go in and people haven't got that sort of bigora thing and you're you're not sort of putting on this. You get what you get in Donegal, which is which is good by the way. Not 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 a bad thing. Exactly. Donegal is an amazing, magical area, and I'm so glad that you uh, that you mentioned it because it is definitely worth visiting. Um, Glenn, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, for sharing not only your tours, but your um, your recommendations for visiting up in that northwestern part of Ireland. It really is an area that is so worth visiting and taking your time in. No, I mean, I haven't even mentioned Derry. <laughs> <laughs> the great Irish traditional music scene that is Waterloo Street, you know. Um, I mean, Derry has one of the best Irish traditional music scenes that there is in the Northwest, which includes Donegal. Um, quite a lot of ones I had up sort of before COVID were coming to Derry, and I would, there's about four or five different pubs in the one area, as you probably know, Waterloo Street, and there's music seven nights um, a week. And they've been in Ireland about a week traveling from Dublin. So the rare occasion to come past that sort of invisible line at Galway. And they get on the dairy, and this is the first time they've heard Irish traditional music in, in Ireland. And they, they've come from Dublin up through staying the night, staying the night, and getting the dairy at some stage. And quite a lot of people saying, You're really looking forward to, but we haven't heard Irish traditional music. You get on dairy seven nights a week. Um, and uh, as I say, they call it, they call it a session. Um, which does include alcohol sometimes, but the session is, is music rather than um, anything else where musicians blindly come together quite often. Some of them might know each other, but never played together. And they just seem to know all the different songs and you'll get a sesh for about, that's the sesh I would call as a, as a music session. Um, maybe four hours of Irish traditional music nearly nearly non-stop, drinks in between, you know. Um, but Derry has got that, it's getting very well known for its Irish traditional music scene as well. So it's got that cultural element within, within the city centre, you know. It's definitely a place to add to your itinerary, for sure. Absolutely. Glenn is always so helpful and so full of such terrific tips and information. Ah, who's ready to go to dairy, right? So anyway, I want to just thank you as always for listening to this episode of the Traveling in Ireland podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can't leave a review on your podcast app, leave a review on the Ireland Family Vacations Facebook page or take a screenshot and tag me at Ireland Family Vacations on Instagram with a few kind words. If you have any questions, you can always email me, Jody at IrelandFamilyVacations.com. Until next time, Slanga Folk.